0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Pernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. And what a day it was in college football. So thrilled to be with you to recap it. For those of you that are joining us live on YouTube.com slash Cover 3, thank you very much. Continue to fill up that chat with your comments and your thoughts on the day. Uh, We don't have quite the loaded slate uh, for us to be able to have Fantastic moments like, did Bo Nix just get Ed O'Dron fired? Because that's actually a question for the Kentucky Wildcats. We'll get to that and much more later. But, uh, gentlemen, Bud, Tom, we have to begin at the following streaks were snapped in the last 45 minutes. 100 straight wins against unranked opponents for Alabama. An FBS best 19-game winning streak for Alabama. 24 straight wins for Nick Saban against his former assistants. And not just 24 straight, but 24-0 and 0 was Nick Saban's record against former assistants. But Jimbo Fisher, Zach Calzada, this Texas A&M team take down the Crimson Tide in College Station. Underdogs by more than two touchdowns, now victorious. They still have two SEC losses. I don't want to, you know, all of a sudden fast forward to the Uh, The cold shower that I've got coming for you in about 12 minutes, Aggies fans. Let's celebrate the win right now while you can. But uh, let's start with the final primetime game in the SEC on CBS doubleheader. What were the big takeaways from Alabama's loss to Texas A&M?
2: Alabama's playoff hopes are done. They lost to a three and two team. That's how it works. It's how it worked with Oregon last week. It's how it works when Ohio state loses on the road to Iowa a few years ago. It's how it works when any team outside the sec loses to a three and two team.
3: So sorry, Alabama, no playoff for you this year. Um, everybody who was saying that CBS was dumb for picking that as a seven thirty game. <laughs> yeah, we win. Trust the process. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh man. I, what, what an awesome game. Just, I, Shout out to A and M for getting that done with with you know two freshman offensive linemen and Calzada, who quite frankly had looked terrible. Yeah, in all of his games, and all of a sudden they busted out. And like the, the Calzada that we had seen for the first couple of weeks was the Calzada that I saw as a recruit. He was intriguing because he had a huge arm, but he didn't really have touch. The throws were not on time, and tonight. Man, Jimbo just absolutely unloaded all those tendency breakers on him. They knew they knew Bamber ran a lot of man and some of that man match stuff, and they were able to hit, hit a lot of those, you know, kind of, kind of rubs and whatnot on, on these guys. They ran a little more RPO than I think they normally did. They broke out a lot of stuff they don't normally run. Uh, and Calzada just throwing strikes and, and just absolutely painting with heat all night. Well, okay, most of the night. Uh, I, of the, yeah. I, I should point yes. out, I, I texted the, the group text. Do you know they had a 0% success rate for the first 20 minutes of the third quarter, if you, like with the exception of like defensive penalties? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they turned it back on. It was,
0: was like, like one punt and two turnovers, right, for the first three possessions of the second half?
3: Yeah. No, I don't mean successful drives, Chip. I mean they had a 0% yeah. success rate. They had they, not run a successful play 20 minutes never, into the second half.
2: They never even got to, like, second and six.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and then they turn it right back on after Calzada takes uh, – what. Uh, well, it's a CBS broadcast. After the after the broadcast crew thought that it might have been a serious uh, hit, um, <laughs> serious enough to go to the medical tent. It comes back out there, drives down the field, throws. You know th- that that was that was an awesome game.
2: I'm surprised they didn't have to amputate. I mean, it's just a terrible looking injury. No, it was a. Uh, I mean, that was a really really fun game, but it was also like. I mean, first of all, was Texas A&M sandbagging for this first month and a half of the season on offense because we're like this is a team that when when they had to go to Calzada against freaking Colorado, they could only manage ten points, and you've watched them in games since, and the offense has just been stodgy and inefficient and just bad. And then all of a sudden tonight, I mean, they only had three hundred and seventy nine yards of offense. But they put up 41 points on Alabama. And I mean, I locked up the under 16 and a half team total for the Aggies. They had that finished by the end of the first quarter. So that was, I mean, if you're Texas A&M, I, I don't know what the win expectancy of this is going to be looking at the box score right now. It's probably going to be closer to 50-50. Than no, Tom, uh, College Ball Data has it at 90. For A&M? Yeah. Wow, that's shocking based on the numbers, but it does make sense cuz that's kind of how it felt watching the game. Like you kept waiting when ANM had the lead in the first half. Like it was one of those things where it's like, oh, it's Alabama. They'll be fine. They're going to come back. They're going to win. Everybody's getting kind of worked up, whatever. But like every single time that Alabama threw a counter punch, it felt like a punched right back. And like, especially with the, eight, the chain uh, kick return for the touchdown is like, I think that was the moment where I was finally like, OK, I, I really think that this is going to happen. I think that they're going to pull this off. And I also think like we talked about this a little bit in the text, too. I think coaching got in the way for Alabama a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I think a couple decisions got in the way just not like as far as punting or kicking field goals. And I also think like offensively, Brian Robinson was averaging 6 yards a carry. You were running the ball pretty well. I don't think you ran the ball as often
3: as you should have. So I'm going through some of these fourth down calls and I mean I get it you were stopping A&M And I get that you want to incorporate data from the game into these decisions. And obviously, Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time. But several of these that that he decided to kick field goals on, these these weren't close. Nick Saban messed up.
0: Oh, no. No, 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 no. no, no, Get your chart out of here. No. No, I'm I'm not not going to take a game like this. No, I'm not here. Alabama lost. I, that's that's fine, but like Alabama lost because Alabama's wide receivers let it down because they don't have a Devonta Smith and a Henry Ruggs, and a Jalen Waddle because they James have Williams had catches, for, he had yeah, he, catches for ten catches for one hundred and forty six yards listen, there were there were huge and like Bryce Young missed some throws too John I, Mechie had seven catches for eighty eight yards i'm I am uh not going to put this on an EPA chart like i just I feel it's like Alabama' two so of them.
2: It's not solely on the EPA chart, but those are two very questionable decisions yeah. that he made. And they're not awesome.
3: We do it to Kirby. Why can't we do it to Nick? Yeah. Listen,
0: well, sure. We can, we can do it to Nick,
3: too. We can do I mean, it Nick's to mean Nick's got a lot more rings than Kirby has. Yes. But, like, you know.
0: I mean, it, it was also like if we're going to come out of this with a takeaway saying that Texas A&M's offensive line did a fantastic job, does that not also not come back to our big question about Alabama defensively, about whether this defensive line is going to step up and be dominant? Like, I just like if, if the maroon goons couldn't get it done uh, against an Arkansas or if they couldn't get it done against a Mississippi State, now all of a sudden they're they're looking like they are able to establish the line of scrimmage and be able to free up the space. For uh, for Texas A&M to get the run game going, I I agree that uh, there are a lot of different ways for us to pick this apart, but I'm I don't think that specifically the punting and field goal decisions are going to be what determined this because those punting and field goal decisions were made with confidence in an Alabama team that Tom, like you said, we're we're watching this game expecting Alabama yeah. to win. We are expecting Alabama to win because we've got not even the perspective that those coaches have. We've got the perspective of just knowing Alabama and Alabama, Alabama didn't live up to its reputation period here in this spot. I,
2: I, I will agree that those two decisions alone did not cost them the game. The other coaching decisions, like I alluded to where they didn't run the ball enough. Like we talk about this Texas A&M defense and how great it is. And, There were complaints about the Alabama offensive line tonight. I'm seeing some of the comments. I saw some on Twitter during the game. That wasn't pass blocking. If you looked at their run game tonight and you look at the advanced numbers right now, they had a stuff rate of only 9% running the ball which is phenomenal against this Texas A&M front because you kept them out of your backfield. They had a success rate running the ball of 53%. Again, against this Texas A&M front, that's about as good as you can hope for. They were running the ball perfectly fine, but they got pass happy. And it's weird because, you know, you think of Alabama's historically, what they would do, Hell and sometimes this year, I feel like they got away from being the same kind of team we saw the last few years with Tua and the the kind of spread it out with all the receivers that you mentioned earlier team. I feel like they probably should have gotten away from it a little bit more, particularly late there when they had kind of taken control of the game. I felt like they could have just relied on Brian Robinson to really squeeze the air out of that ball and squeeze the life out of AM, but they didn't.
3: And like he Yep, yeah, go ahead. Well, he, he had what 36 37 carries, but like he, he obviously late they they did, they only, did had start 24 around more. only 24 Robinson, carries, only 24. carries. only 24
0: carries, yeah, 24 147.
3: CBS flashed a graphic up there showing he was going like up the chart. Where maybe I was looking at Henry, excuse me, yeah. uh, 24 um, carries, 147
2: yards, 6.1 per. And they hmm. just and I don't, then you know, now I feel like we're, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. And because AM won this game flat out and. Alabama hurt itself with some of those decisions, but the fact is a made plays when you had to make plays. And AM, like the w- the thing we've seen from this team, too, at times, like the way that that half started, like you mentioned, they had a 0% success rate for the first 20 minutes of the second half. They watched their lead melt away. So many teams would just fold at that point, and they would say, especially when Alabama took the lead, so many teams would just be like, well... <sighs> We tried. It's done. a didn't. They kept playing. They got back in. They got up. They fought back. They won the game. It's freaking awesome for the Aggies. I think it's a huge win for Jimbo. I think it's a really good thing for that program going forward. I mean, obviously, with two losses – they're not a playoff team this year, but I just think that getting this kind of thing done, it gives you reason to believe and it gives you hope going forward that maybe next year and the year after that, this is an Aggies team that can be competing for the division,
3: can be competing for the SEC, and therefore competing for a playoff spot. Did uh did this game remind you all at all of Ohio State Oregon, where like so to me, Ohio State was very explosive. Like they they clearly had elite level athletes, but yet. Oregon was much better situationally and they executed when they had to have it better, right like, like they, they were they would they would hit their spots better and Bama was like, here here's a bunch of yards we're racking up yards and they just they weren't actually you know converting in the red zone they weren't actually converting some of those third downs like they would have chunk plays, but they wouldn't keep the chains moving as well. I, I don't know it, it felt very much like A&M was much better with situational football tonight than Alabama was and that that in a close game, that's a huge difference maker
0: sure it, it did not remind me of that but i do think that that final argument there uh is 100 on and that i'm uh, glad i brought it home <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no you you did i, I was like no, i got what you were saying though yeah yeah. yeah. The, the way the game played out right like you can't you can't associate these two squads you know with right. what we're dealing with right there um okay so here comes the cold shower a&m's got two losses Like, what is this mean for Texas? Texas A&M is going to pop up. They were the second team outside of the top 25 in the AP top 25 last week, so they will obviously be in the top 25. I currently have it projected at number 18. I think they could potentially land as high as 16, but that head-to-head loss to Arkansas is going to put a little bit of a cap on your two-loss ranking, even with a loss to, even with a win against Alabama. Um, Jimbo, I think is the, my biggest takeaway. You mentioned it. It's a great win for Jimbo. We need to give Jimbo his flowers. He was talking this off season about how he was going to beat Alabama before Nick Saban retired. And guess what? You gone and did it. But what is the, like, what is the build for this? Like, is this just a a singular moment that Texas A&M holds onto and builds for the future or do you think that this team that was able to take down a Crimson Tide team that we had penciled in for the college football playoff is going to be able to string this together? And how about this? You think Texas A&M wins out?
3: No. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, David Hale had a pretty good stat, right? It's, if you take a look at the record post-Jameis, Jimbo and Harbaugh have the exact same record. Like, it's almost identical. Same record against winning, against winning teams, same record against Power Five, same overall S- record, same against ranked, everything. It's almost like like within a win of each other. Now, Jimbo just upset the number one team in the country and deserves a ton of credit for it, right? Can we see this offense every week? Just two weeks ago, we talked about how, like, it's basically never explosive and they're like, they don't hit explosive passes. Tonight, they did, and they broke all those tendencies, and they made Calzada look good. If they can focus on scoring points every week and not just time of possession, then yes, I think they absolutely can build on this big time. And they will use this in recruiting huge, especially after what happened in Red River today. Uh, but the consistency of scoring points every week is going to be the key. He already recruits the athletes that, that are freak enough to have really, really good defense on a week-to-week basis. I am challenging Texas A&M
2: right here and now to put up a 50 burger on Mizzou last week or next week. <laughs> Tennessee yeah, that, that Tennessee ran right the hell over Mizzou last week. I think what North Texas put up like 30 on them today or something is if it, Texas A&M needs to put up 50 on them next week or else this was all for naught.
0: We were looking at that Mizzou-North Texas game being like, man, Missouri really needs to blow them out. It was like 14-7 midway through the second quarter. Yikes. Uh, You mentioned that at Missouri uh, next week for Texas A&M, then home against South Carolina. I'm going to be pretty bold and guess that Texas A&M's two games right there against the SEC East will be a win and a win. Then they will have an off week after that. And then return to action for the final stretch. Home against Auburn at Ole Miss, uh, Prairie View, and then at LSU. Who's
3: we'll coaching be, LSU in that game?
0: Will be coached by who knows. Um, we can
3: we can discuss that if you want because that's that's interesting.
0: Uh, do let's let's go ahead and jump into that then. So Kentucky, I think, was up thirty-eight-seven at the no, not thirty-eight-seven, that thirty-five-seven at the the largest deficit. Uh, Final score is 42-21, a 21-point win for the Wildcats. Wire-to-wire, never a doubt. Um, uh, Kayshaun Butte goes down with an injury here. Uh, I think that uh, Tom Fernelli's wish that LSU not lose this game horribly so that Coach O might get fired on Sunday. I'm very worried that we are all going to be here together at youtube.com slash cover three at some point on Sunday, (laughs) discussing the fact that athletic director Scott Woodward has decided that the LSU football program needs to move on and begin a national search. And I don't know who he's going to name as the interim uh, coordinator for a staff that has turned over defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator and all these other positions. Offensive
3: line coach.
0: Yeah, I, I I really don't know what the, uh, the off-ramp – how about this? I don't know what the off-ramp is for Scott Woodward, the LSU athletic director, but I think it's fair to make the bet that Ed O'Dron will not be coaching LSU in 2022 after Saturday's result at Kentucky. Is that fair?
3: Yes. Yes, but I don't know that they fire him in the season because of what you said. Is there an obvious person to hand this off interim-wise? <laughs> and the answer, I think, is no. Right, both coordinators are brand new. Offensive of line coach is brand new. I, I, I don't know what you get from firing him now. It's not like they're going to win more games. I think the case gets more convincing. Like they really could go zero and five in this five game stretch. They, they lost tonight, to Kentucky. I think we all said we love Kentucky here, and you know, I mean, it's a really bad matchup for LSU. So, uh, but they have other teams coming up that can run the ball on them. They, they still can't stop the run. They can't run the ball themselves. It's just not working. So, that
2: was, I mean, first of all, I'm kind of pissed because I'd taken the under 60 and a half, and that game was like 28 to 7 after the third quarter, and I lost because all of a sudden LSU decides it's time to start scoring points. But there was a time where I flipped that game on in the third quarter and LSU looked like a team that was just kind of like whatever. We didn't want to be here. We're done it. But then they they played well in the fourth quarter. They finished strong so something happened.
3: Do you want to talk about bad beats? No, yes. not yet. Okay. No. Okay. Now you no, no, no. we oh. got
0: we got some listen. We yeah, still want, you hit, want to talk Red, Red River? River? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We need to right. hit Red River, but real quickly okay, for LSU. Oh, if why? they decide to uh let coach Duran continue to to uh, be in his current position and lead this team They play at home against Florida noon next weekend. Then they play at Ole Miss the following weekend. Then they hit the bye Alabama in Tuscaloosa on November 6th. So Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Arkansas on the other side, the next four opponents are all top 25 teams. And if you believe that LSU is capable of beating a top 25 team, well, then maybe there's a win there. If you don't believe that LSU is capable of beating a top 25 team, then they will be three and seven by the end of that stretch.
3: I think four and six is the most likely there, right?
0: A&M at home, ULM at home to finish. Not bowling.
3: A basketball season starting soon, LSU fans. They just got a big time five star commit uh, yeah. l- last week. Will your Wade basketball still school.
0: out here? You're <laughs>
2: basketball school now. It's just let's let's lean into it.
0: Yeah, every everyone um, everyone knows that uh, that in this new era, you can get away with anything because Will Wade is a sitting head coach still landing five star <laughs> recruits. Caught on FBI wiretap. That's okay. <laughs> You can still get strong out strong ass offer. Yes,
3: yeah, <laughs> right. Wasn't that it? I am mean, not a yeah. basketball guy, even under that one. All
0: right. Okay. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into Red River because it was. Um, and this is not an area that is going to be my expertise. I'm going to pitch it to the two of you only for the purposes of seeing if you can better me here. But I had two instances in the 21st century of an Oklahoma-Texas game that I would put in the realm of what we saw today, 2001 and 2008. And then I would think that today was one of the best. And in terms of, you know, how long I've been working at CBS, which is since the 2010 season, without a doubt, one of the best. And that includes like four or five overtime games. That includes games where, uh, you know, the, the underdog Texas team still found a way to come in and make it scrappy when we thought that Oklahoma has been running the Big 12, was going to be able to win this game handily. Since most of the time that I've been working at CBS, Texas has been disappointing and not living up to uh, the reputation from its most dominant period within the conference. So I, I feel like the early Texas lead, the change at quarterback, uh, Oklahoma's response – the way that this game uh, finished in the final frames with the walk-off touchdown, I feel more enthused about what Oklahoma can be. I'm appreciative of what this game was, and I don't know how to feel about the Texas Longhorns moving forward.
2: That game was an entire Texas season in 60
0: minutes. (laughs) I like that. Go on.
2: I mean, they got off to a really hot start. You're proclaiming Texas is back. And then they collapsed at the end and literally lost on a walk-off touchdown or a run-off touchdown when a guy was just trying to get the ball onto the left hashtag where his kicker wanted it. It was just like, "Oh, okay, you guys just want to open this lane and let me score, thinking that I can, you know, you're gonna have to get the ball back." Sure, just yet. I, I think that this. Was it I think it's a very interesting game as far as where it stands in the pantheon of Red River shootouts, I'd say it's definitely one of the best ones I ever remember. Uh I think for Oklahoma, this is a huge turning point in that I think we saw the beginning of the Caleb Williams era. Because I I don't see how like Lincoln Riley said after the game, he doesn't want to make any decisions now about the starting quarterback. He kept Caleb Williams from talking to Holly Rowe after the game, and I'm assuming it was because he didn't want him to have to answer questions about whether he was the starting quarterback now. But I just don't see how you can go back to Spencer Rattler when you had to bench him in this game last year, and then you benched him again this year. And not only did that happen, but it completely sparked the turnaround for your team to come back and win the game. And I think that maybe based on what we saw, like I think Caleb Williams is, is far from a finished product but he's willing to take chances that Spencer Rattler's just not willing to take. Like, he's willing to make things happen. Spencer Rattler hasn't done that. Then on the Texas side, honestly, like, you lost that game. <laughs> but I feel pretty good about where you're going. I mean, that's, you
3: played well. You just lost an insane game against a good team. So, the, I think one of the things, first of all, I'm not a huge Spencer Rattler fan, I continue to fade quarterback class of 2019 as far as recruiting wise, just those guys are not the goods. Um, but I do think Oklahoma's offensive line has some issues when it comes to running the football. And one of the things I really like is that Caleb Williams, when you put him in there, he's a, the thick, he's a thicker dude and you have to look, like, you actually have to honor the QB run game stuff and the 11 man run game. And that, that to me gives Oklahoma, you know, more of a physical presence, um, one of the stats has been floating out there on Twitter. I apologize to whoever ever tweeted this. Uh, was talking about their lack of explosiveness on first down this year, which is basically because teams are just not real scared of their 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 run game, and so they they basically just drop eight and l- let you run the ball if you want. Teams are going to be more scared of this run game now for sure. If Caleb Williams I- I- is involved, he made some really good plays today. Like I I had some questions about Caleb Williams as a recruit. Physical talent was not one of them. Right? Like the guy is freaky. Part of it was. Okay, sometimes competition level, and then also like having a season canceled due to COVID, right? So you didn't really get to see that. But, man, he made a bunch of really, really, really huge plays. That third and 19 to Mims, like I know Mims mm-hmm. makes a great catch, but that's still a really, really well-thrown ball for a 52-yarder. Um, I mean, this, what, 60, 66, 68-yard run Williams had? And I thought what you saw in the second half, too, was – that because of the way Williams forced Texas to defend, Texas was not able to get as much penetration going and they were not able to knock Oklahoma off schedule as much. Whereas Oklahoma uh, basically kind of just said, screw it. We're going to go after Texas enough. And Texas continued to hit explosive plays, but what they did not continue to do is move the chains. Oklahoma was basically like, all right, we'll give up an explosive, but we're going to trade it for knocking you you know into third and 19 type situation. And, Texas punted a lot more times there in the second half. Texas also blew this by fumbling a kickoff. Like, yes, Worthy came back, and I love Worthy. St- like, come on, that, that kid's kind of uncoverable for being an 18-year-old. That, that's like Olympic-level speed. But giving Oklahoma a short field there is and, and, and stealing a possession is a huge deal, and that really turned that game. Um, I do have a question, though, for you guys. What happens if Kennedy Brooks gets tackled? That game goes to overtime, right? Like, like gets tackled
0: at like the he scored the like
3: no time left. Oh yeah, no. I like he gets tackled at the seven.
2: Yeah, okay, I get you now. Like if yeah, uh, no once he gets out, going, he's got a score. He's done. I mean, was that Texas' plan? Time, <laughs>
1: like,
2: like, make him think he could score and then tackle him at the last second. I mean, or, I, was, wait, hold plan. on, Tom.
0: Was that Texas' plan for I don't know forty nine minutes of the game? <laughs> like, we'll just let him score as fast as possible. I thought Texas' tackling was horrible throughout the. So entire was
2: Oklahoma's game. for the most yeah, part. Yeah, Oklahoma didn't tackle Fair. in the first half.
0: Fair. Uh, that was,
2: see, that's I I I made the comment on Twitter about it. I, I went full DK. I went Danny Cannell on Twitter because you know like everybody was making fun of the defense in this game like they always do when it comes to Big 12 teams and yet like the same people who might be affiliated with the SEC who are making fun of the defenses in this game. We're talking about how wonderful the Ole Miss-Arkansas game was at the very same time. And it's like, why is one bad defense in your eyes and why is one great offense? I can't can't quite put my fingers on why.
3: Yeah, that was bad defense in, 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 in Ole Miss-Arkansas. Like, yes. I mean, yes. Ole Miss is missing a lot of playmakers or missing two offensive linemen. Uh, that was just terrible defense both sides. Like, like Man, just, Barry Odom got ripped. Dude's wide open everywhere you
2: looked. Everybody's like, this is just a great game of football.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Were people really saying that? Yes. Uh, I mean, fun and great game of football are very different. I will say that, like, if you are Barry Odom in the first seven Ole Miss drives, yes, you gave up three touchdowns, but you also had three stops, two punts and a turnover on downs, and one field goal. If you and the game's twenty-four-twenty-four. So Ole Miss has had seven drives. The game is tied. It's Ole Miss's offense. You've had three touchdowns, three stops, one field goal. I think that at that place, you take that? Or is that me being too forgiving to Arkansas and Barry Odom because of preconceived beliefs in where this Arkansas defense is?
3: I think you take that, right? I mean, like let's let's say it's like a twelve possession game. If you get half stops and half scores and Let's say, like, you average five—I don't know—five points per score, right? I mean, that's
0: and as you're moving the ball, as KJ Jefferson's able to have success against Ole Miss's defense, like. But to your point, after that, the the clip sort of the the rope got away from them. They I weren't able the stops. to stops. Yeah, 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 they yeah, the stops stopped happening. Right, like it was, we didn't have uh, those same results on that side. Anything else from uh, from Ole Miss, Arkansas? While we're at it, that that really stood out. I've got one can we, oh, question to, to build on it.
3: Uh, can I close Oklahoma? I, I I saw a note that I put to myself. Yeah. Those freshman corners are a problem for Oklahoma. Like I don't know who in the Big 12 is going to be able to, to take advantage of them, uh, throw in the ball, because it's probably not Oak State or Iowa State, given what they have on the outside. Maybe Texas was the best team to do that, but let, let's put that – like if we happen to get an Ohio State-Oklahoma matchup for the playoff, Let's remember this day because those true freshman corners got roasted by fellow true freshmen. If they face like an Ohio, Ohio state or if Bama sneaks in here or somebody can really throw the ball with some studs at receiver, uh, uh-uh. that, that, that's not going to work.
0: Okay. Um, before, while we're still sitting here on, uh, on Oklahoma and Texas, and I guess uh, Matt Corral is definitely a part of this. Uh, I want to ask a question, especially after Bryce Young lost the list that I put together like three hours ago before the college football landscape shifting results of the SEC on CBS primetime event of Texas A&M taking down Alabama was to point out that of the top eight or nine names on the odds board, depending on where you got your odds prior to the season, I am feel comfortable eliminating five quarterbacks from winning the Heisman Trophy. I want, I want to see if y'all agree with this. I feel comfortable saying that, Spencer Rattler, DJ Lele, JT Daniels, Sam Howe, and Derek King are definitively not going to win the Heisman Trophy. Those are basically half of the names that were at the top of the odds board at the beginning of the season for the college football season.
3: The only one I would push back on is Daniels. Because I think... If if this if this thing goes silly, right, and and nobody's going to win it just based on pure stats, because obviously you know Corral is going to have the crazy stats, but they but Ole Miss doesn't play Georgia, and his stats against Alabama were, were terrible, right? So people are going to say, oh, he's beaten up on a bunch of bad teams, which you know is not totally true. But if this thing just goes totally sideways, and we have to just vote on this thing based on narrative, and Ohio State splits votes. I could see a situation where Daniels gets back and healthy and this Georgia offense, which throwing the ball has not been impressive so far this year. All of a sudden it starts to click and they hang a big number on Florida and then maybe they get a little shooty out, right? With with, with Bama in the dome there and he bombs it on Bama or something. I don't think you can totally eliminate Daniels, but I would not be taking him like anything in the double digits. Like if, I would need like more than than 99 to one. Everybody else, yeah, for sure, Chip. I yeah, I I kind of feel the same. I, I don't know if I'm I think
2: JT Daniels' odds are still very slim, but I don't think he's dead yet. I, I'd agree with that. I think honestly, I think a running back's gonna win this year.
0: I thought it was B. John Robinson until Texas blew that lead.
2: Yeah, but I still I mean I, I think when you look around like we've it's been a weak QB class. No real wide receiver has kind of stepped up as being the guy yet, but you look around and, I mean, there's Bijan Robinson, there's Kenneth Walker, there's Travion Henderson, there's Brian Robinson, there's Zach Evans isn't going to win it, but he's a very good running back. There's a lot of really good running backs across the country this year, and I just I get the feeling that as this season goes along, some of those guys are just going to keep putting up numbers and they're going to, th- I think a running back's going to win at this point.
0: I will uh I will throw if I had to place a bet, I would probably put it on CJ Shroud. Yeah. But I will also say that with my annual and Buckeye fans, I apologize because this is something I do every single year, but I annually seem to hate on Ohio State quarterbacks in the Heisman Trophy conversation because I think that they get Heisman Trophy love for. In incredible wide receivers, good game plans, like an, in, an advantage in the passing game against most Big Ten secondaries. And there's something about that, like, there's something about the crossing routes and fly sweep game that just gets me a little hot and bothered. Like when just, Dwayne Haskins was just flipping the hacky sack, you know, and, and getting hater. the touchdown pass on. Oh, yeah, huge hater. Hating on the big
2: 10. Yeah. Hey, you know, he's just taking advantage of those non athletes up there in the big 10. They don't have what we have here in the ACC where nobody can finish higher than eight and four.
0: Justin Fields, (laughs) not 2019, Justin Fields, but 2018. (laughs) No, no, not 2020 Justin Fields, but 2019 Justin Fields. I was looking at Justin Fields' stats and I think that I saw seven touchdown passes that were fly sweeps. And maybe like five more that were just crossing routes where the wide receiver went and took it the rest of the way. And I was a hater. And you know what, Justin Fields made me do in 2020? He made me eat those words, every single one of them, as he just, uh, as he played fantastic, not only throughout the season uh, for the Buckeyes, shortened season, but an undefeated season, and then taking down Clemson. And while Alabama won that national championship game, I think Ohio State was a very worthy. Uh, runner-up in that season. So I'm, I'm going to look at C.J. Stroud. Again, I'm, I'm balancing this. I think that he is built, and I think this Ohio State system is built with Ryan Day for him to be able to put up incredible numbers. And, Tom, you mentioned the the running back, the quarterback class is weak, so you think it's going to be a running back. I agree the quarterback class is weak. I think that's why it might be a quarterback with incredible numbers, and I think C.J. Stroud is going to have incredible numbers.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at a book right now where you get him 15-to-1.
0: 15 to 1 is a really good number for CJ Stroud. Go get that. I see I see all of the people that are watching this right now. Go get that number right now. He's, 15 to 1 for CJ Stroud. Let's he's the go. S-
2: sixth favorite the book I'm looking at right now. Bryce Young's plus 125, Matt Corral 240, Kenneth Walker 12 to 1, Bijan 12 to 1, Ritter 12 to 1 and then Stroud at 15 to 1.
0: Yeah, I would rather have Stroud than, um, without a doubt. Yeah.
3: What about you, Bud? I, I think Stroud. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think through this right. In some ways, Corral not having to play uh, Georgia is is uh, actually quite quite a bit of a help. I mean, Ole Miss's defense is not very good, so he's gonna have to throw all the time, and we'll probably continue to put up video game numbers. Like there is a scenario too, I think, where Corral wins it. As a what like a ten and two maybe eleven and one uh, type player, I mean he's going to bomb it all rail issue. He probably can throw on A and um, I suspect he'll throw it well against Mississippi State. They still play Tennessee, and that game like the winner of that game might have sixty five points. Uh, and so, like it is possible that that uh, that Corral, even though he was not any good against Alabama, and part of that's his team too that his numbers are just so video game-esque. It's almost like uh, 2007 when Tebow won it, right? Florida was a three-loss team. They ended up losing to to Michigan to go four-loss in the bowl game, but obviously the voting is before the bowl game, so so I said three-loss. But like, if your numbers are that crazy, in the absence of somebody else, almost like like the year Lamar won it, right? Lamar was not a serious contender to make the playoff that year after they lost. Clemson, but his numbers just so far out, like outpace everybody else, and he had a couple big moments. So if we can get Corral a moment, maybe Corral still is is worth a shot. But I, I do think Stroud is is a really interesting choice.
0: Corral fourteen for twenty one today for two hundred eighty seven yards and two touchdowns. He also added a good bit on the ground. I know he was a good part of it. Watching it, fifteen carries for ninety four yards and two more touchdowns. So four total touchdowns, and I was not the person who said this and I apologize if it was butter Tom, but uh, I, in my research, somebody said, look for Matt Corral to be a big part of this run game, especially if Ely is missing. He certainly was uh, in this win for the rebels coming up on the other side. We turn our attention to the top five matchup in Iowa city, the Hawkeyes Get a win over the Nittany Lions. We'll break down what it means for both these teams and the Big Ten in general. Plus, our biggest takeaways from Week 6 in college football.
1: Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Tom, I'm going to let you get first word on this
0: because uh, you put in the, the time doing that live blogging on cbssports.com, writing those takeaways, quarter-by-quarter quarter updates, editors <laughs> peppering your DMs, asking for when when all the new words are ready to go, for publish, for all the good people out there. So um, there were some, some interesting swings in here. Sean Clifford's injury among the most notable headlines. But uh, what were your sort of lingering thoughts now, especially with a, a couple hours to – process the result of Iowa winning 23 to 20.
2: Well, first of all, typical anti-Big 10 bias on this show by waiting until after the break to mention the only top 5 game on the board this week. Uh, I mean, the takeaway from this is that Iowa is inevitable just like Alabama at the point. Like there's there's nothing you can do. Iowa is going to intercept your passes, they are going to give themselves short fields. They're going to score points. Spencer Petras is going to look pretty mediocre to bad for 80% of the game, but he's going to make three or four plays to win the game. And that's pretty much what happened today. Like I, I, Sean Clifford's injury is huge. I mean, that changed the momentum of the game, but it's not like Clifford was playing well. I mean, he had thrown two interceptions to start the game. The, The, you know, Iowa pinned him inside the five on their first punt. Clifford's very first pass is picked off. Uh, Penn State holds Iowa to a field goal, keeps it 3-0. And I thought at the time that was huge. And then Iowa or Penn State goes and scores a few touchdowns, takes a 17-3 lead. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that really was huge. But when Taquan Roberson came in, I mean, the difference was when Clifford was playing, even though he wasn't playing that well, Iowa's defense had to respect the vertical passing game. Once Roberson came in, Iowa's defense didn't have to respect it. They just loaded everything up, brought pressure a lot more often. Actually, at first, they kind of took the same approach they took to Clifford, which was allowing Roberson plenty of space to run. And then they quickly realized we probably shouldn't do that. There's no need to do that. Then they crowded the box more. Then they brought more pressure. And Roberson, was there were wide-open guys he wasn't seeing. There were wide-open guys he was just overthrowing on all of his deep shots. He was way off and it felt like iowa's defensive backs were running the routes with penn state's receivers knowing exactly what was coming they picked off a few passes i just felt like if clifford doesn't get hurt i don't know that iowa comes back to win i think iowa could come back to win i just think it's not as likely to happen but i think that you look at iowa right now like i been down on him. I'm still, I, I'm kind of coming to the point where it's like, okay, fine. I give in. I get it. You do it. You're really good at it. It's working. I'm going to put you in my top four now. Okay. Just leave me
3: alone. It's like, you can stand on the couch, but I'm not going to allow you to jump off the couch, right? Like, like we, we still have limits here, but like, if you want to climb on the couch, you want to stand up when you're watching Blippy, whatever, fine. Like I'll, 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 I'll move the little, uh, little like nugget mini couch. If you fall off, like at least you fall into something soft. But we're not jumping off the couch right like I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna'm not jumping tails. off yeah. yeah like, like, <laughs> like I, I'm not jumping off the couch with Iowa right but like if you want to stand on the couch, fine you're good at doing what what you do however, Penn State was five of eight on third down in the first half they were 0 for eight in the second half, obviously, what's the difference? oh well, they had their starting quarterback and then they had a kid who really can't play come in after the starting quarterback picket got hurt I think that was ribs by the way, according to Twitter like. I guess are the, back. The broadcast never said, but it was definitely something in that kind of you know midsection mm-hmm. area. Uh spleen, who knows? There's like there's no real reason to think that Iowa was going to come back if Pickett remained in the game. They were able to hit enough passes to keep Iowa off balance, and they were like largely controlling the game. And I mean, look at the second half success rate for Penn State. 27 percent in on standard downs 18 on on passing downs in the fourth quarter like i don't totally agree with that though like you think I, they were I, gonna come back for real i think they could have I, i'm not saying
2: i don't think the odds of it are as good as it was like once roberson came out like when when i realized when i saw clifford on the sideline in street clothes to start the second half i was like oh god i don't see this kid being able to hold on to a seven-point lead against this defense in this environment for 30 minutes. But honestly, like if Clifford starts second half with a sec with a seven-point lead, the same Sean Clifford who threw two interceptions in the first half, the same Sean Clifford who really wasn't, you know, being very consistent. They were they were converting on some third downs. Yeah, but it's not like he was playing lights out. Like he was kind of iffy last week against Indiana, and he looked like the same guy to me where It's kind of like we were talking about with uh, oh god, Texas where where there were some big plays, yeah, but there weren't really like the drives. They weren't really moving the chains at all times. Like they were early in the game, but that kind of that was kind of stop and go too. So, like I've seen a lot of Penn State fans doing the whole "We win by thirty-five if Clifford doesn't get hurt." That's just fans being fans, but. I don't think that's really reality because Sean Clifford is not all of a sudden an elite quarterback. He's Sean Clifford.
0: So, I don't mean to uh I don't I don't mean to just jump on the wave of Bob Stoops, but I mean the man's having a great day, right?
2: Yeah, Bob Stoops had a fantastic day.
0: Oklahoma, Iowa, Kentucky. I mean, this is just like it, LSU is
2: coming open. Oh, oops.
0: (laughs) Oops. Did I say that? (laughs) How much of Bob Stoops' own Bob Stoops tequila is Bob Stoops enjoying tonight after getting done with this day of work? FaceTime and Mark just laughing about everything that's going on in the world because, you know, Mark's going to get a contract extension from the way things are going right now. Bob's at least going to have some choices. Iowa, Oklahoma winning. Uh, But point being, uh, Bob Soup said, it's it's a seven-point game. I was very comfortable. This was at halftime. He said, I was very comfortable. They're in the locker room right now. They said, we play these kind of games. This is exactly where we want to be. He also said, if you're Penn State, you've turned the ball over three times, and you're still up by seven away from home against the top five team, you're also happy with where you are. So, you know, classic former coach Being an analyst, he gave flowers to everybody, but I do think that there's something to be said for at no point in this game, like back to the inevitability word that you used, at no point in this game did I think Iowa was out of it. No point did I think Iowa was was out of it.
2: And to go back to the point, too, that I was trying to make about with Clifford, like with Clifford in in the first half, you take away Clifford's rushing yards, like on those scrambles for third down, when when he was catching Iowa playing man, and there was just so much room for him to move. Penn State ran for five yards on ten carries. Penn State's run game, game yeah, is not.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, this Iowa was going to be right able. To, Iowa was going to be within range the entire game, no matter who was in there.
3: But I'm not really convinced that Iowa turns it around, though. Because like, uh, do you would you take Petrus over Clifford? Because I, I don't think I would. No, I would take Clifford over over Petrus, but. In
2: that, like at home, in that environment, like Penn State had eight false starts. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, and some of that, some of that was the quarterback again, because a lot of those came after Roberson comes in and you've got a kid who has very little experience all of a sudden thrown into that environment. And there were clearly miscommunication issues between the line, between the quarterback, but it wasn't just with Roberson because there was one punt where, you know, like the three guys that line up in front of the punter, there was the one guy on the left who's like, no more than two yards away from the guy to his right. The guy to his right is screaming at him to come closer to him, and he can't hear him. That was the kind of situation Penn State was dealing with today. And whether that's Clifford or Roberson, that's really hard to deal with.
0: So I think that when you say environment, it is also important to mention capital E, because I felt like a basic out here talking about how Kinnick Stadium was going to be a game-changing type environment, and I kind of feel like I should cash that ticket. I took some L's, but I kind of feel like Kinnick Stadium showed up.
2: The oh, Stadium's awesome. I'm not I mean, it's one of the best environments in the sport.
0: Okay, I watched uh, a little bit too much ACC football which was very interesting, fascinating, but not all that nationally relevant. So I will uh turn the uh the talking stick over to you guys if there's anywhere where you want to go before uh, we jump into the best team in the ACC which resides in Winston-Salem. <laughs>
2: No, we need to talk wake because we we don't talk in nearly enough wake on this show for the
0: season that they're having. That it's the first six and zero start for the Demon Deacons, I think, since the 40s. I mean, 44. Yeah, yet. Yeah. 44. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what kind of football was being played in 44? Who was playing real
2: football? War oh, football, right? <laughs> well, Men's football. Not distinct okay. so, like, stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: that yeah, was, yeah. Wake Wake had the uh the all-draft exemption team. <laughs> like,
3: every, everybody with pitch and toes was out here. They were playing the Rose Bowl, like like, like next door to Chip's house.
2: It's, it's incredible they were able to run so far with one leg being shorter than the other. <laughs>
0: All of these bad eyesight can't pass the eye test players for Wake Forest. Um can't, yeah. No, I so 40 to 37 is the overtime result against Syracuse for those who didn't watch it. Uh Syracuse played really well here. Uh shout out to Garrett Schrader, who not just in this game, but over the last couple of weeks, has turned this Syracuse team into a, a team that really relies on the ground game. They still use tempo in the way that is associated often with Dino Babers, but they are not slinging the ball around to a bunch of talented wide receivers or, or you know trying to overwhelm you with their skill on the perimeter. They are trying to run it uh, with pace, with tempo, right at you. And it's worked pretty well. For the most part, uh, on my read and my analysis, Syracuse's defense is probably the best uh, part of its team. So Wake Forest on the road, in the Carrier Dome, where it is electric, where the special teams are well-coached, to get out of there with a 40-37 to win. Sam Hartman had 330 yards, three touchdowns, a bad interception uh, or two. I know you won bad interception, um, but I I still think that for the Demon Deacons, this was one of those tests where uh, I actually texted our friend Barton Simmons. He asked for the Dino drop in a, a form that was accessible on his phone. And so I wanted to like arm him with the Dino drop. So we were talking about Syracuse, and I was like, man, if Wake wins this, we need to have that hard conversation about them being the best team in the conference. And uh, and now they are 6-0. and The wins, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, are not going to overwhelm a top 25 voter. I imagine they will mostly stay in the same order of the top 25. My current projections, I have them for 17. When the new rankings come out on Sunday, we'll see. But uh Tom, you said so. Like it's time to start talking about this Wake Forest team. They've got Army Duke North Carolina as their next three games. It is not crazy to think that they host NC State on November 13th, 9 and 0.
2: When's when did the first
0: playoff rankings come out? November it's either the last week. There's or like
2: two the- more games, like before that. So this is a Wake Forest team that could easily be eight and zero by the time the first playoff rankings come out. Yes. Which means that depending on how things go, this is a Wake team that could be in the top ten of the first playoff rankings that come out. This is, I mean, I I think you kind of nailed the hit. You, you hit the nail on the head here when you when you look at the resume. It's not like they're beating a bunch of world beaters, but they're in the ACC. So there's not many world beaters in front of them, but they are winning the games. And even though the last couple wins have been kind of close, this is still, it's just, it's not all that dissimilar at all to the Wake Forest teams we've seen in recent years, where offensively, they are a lot of fun. Defensively, there are holes and they kind of get into shootouts. And at the end, it's just, as long as they don't make too many mistakes, they're going to be in a good position to win the game. And that's, pretty much how it's gone and they haven't lost a game yet. And I think that it's really hard to imagine that even with this schedule, like it's hard to imagine wake's not going to lose two or three games. I'll, I'll put it that way, but I don't think, I think this is a nine and three team, but you look at the schedule and you just look at the way the rest of the ACC is going. It's not crazy to think they can get the 10 wins.
3: They, they really could win 10. Like to me, this team is just, it's coach quarterback, right? Like yeah. they, they have a good coach. They have a pretty damn good quarterback by ACC standards. They they have a system they believe in. They got a bunch of guys who are you know six year six year senior type type dudes. And you know I I really I've had a hard time getting a feel for Wake this year. Like I thought they did a nice job against FSU. They come out and they blast UVA on that Friday night game or Thursday night whatever night that was. Like they just they just crushed them. And then they probably should have lost to Louisville last week. Yeah. Uh, and then today they easily could have lost so they're kind of playing with fire and I wanted to see them sustain what they did against UVA but like they're still getting by some of these you know bottom tier like ACC teams right now uh and I don't hate their matchup against NC state because we already saw a team that throws a bunch of little short quick passes beat NC state that team's name is Mississippi State so granted the wake defense is not that great Uh, They they allowed six point two four yards per play to Syracuse today. It's probably not going to get it done. Syracuse is not good on offense. Like I I saw that that offense last week. I mean, I I know what they're trying to do, and Chip hit it the nail on the head. But that that would concern me a little bit if if you allow that much yards and and, uh, points to to Syracuse. Also, a note on Syracuse. Some man on Twitter. In my uh injuries thread, if you guys follow me on Twitter at Bud Elliot3, I put out a big call for injuries every Saturday so we can figure it, figure this out with the handicapping and and do adjustments to the power ratings. Somebody said Schrader got hurt, so um hoping that he's okay, but that's something to look for going forward. He might have just been really sore after
2: carrying the ball 29 times.
3: Twenty nine carries. Yeah. <laughs> do not- you know who the OC is for, for Syracuse, by the way? At this moment? It yeah.
0: Like I, I know it, but not at this moment as we're speaking live on YouTube.com. Sterling
3: well. Gilbert, the guy who Charlie oh, yeah. Strong hired to try to run the Baylor stuff, uh like very late in his career there at Texas. Who came from Tulsa? No, wasn't he in the uh wasn't he a browse Baylor guy? But Tulsa was running the Biles
2: stuff uh at yeah. one point. Yeah, with Montgomery there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tulsa I, the uh one of the later games, right?
3: Tulsa beat Memphis tonight. Yes, they held on to beat Memphis Ooh. on a ridiculous non non PI
2: call. I really don't want to talk about it because I had Memphis moneyline sprinkle. Oh, uh,
3: did you see the call?
2: Yeah, you're gonna be real? okay. Yeah, it's just it's pretty bad. I mean, some people should be in jail and they're not there yet. That's all I gotta say. Um,
0: <laughs> all right, where do, where do you want to take it? Let's uh, let's Nebraska. Let's make, okay, Nebraska, Michigan.
3: I watched almost all of this one. Uh, I gotta say, I was very like I was pretty impressed by Nebraska's but also by Michigan, like Michigan didn't have Wilson, the receiver. Obviously, they're already missing Ronnie Bell. They got a you know young quarterback on the road. They did a really good job of scheming guys open against Nebraska, and they ran the football you know, somewhat effectively at times and, and went out and got it done. Um, I thought that their defensive line w- was something that I was a little bit questionable on depth-wise entering the year, and they've looked great. Like they really, for the most part, uh, dominated Nebraska up front with their defensive line. I know Nebraska had their left tackle go out and they had to put in the kid who they had benched. It didn't go so well for them. And then in the third quarter, Scott Frost just like, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to find a way to scheme guys wide the hell open." <laughs> like like there's like like you guys just do a bubble screen, but there's no blocker, but there's also no defender, so there's not a problem. It's just a wide open like lollipop whoop, screen and uh they did it three times for like 22 points there. In the third quarter, Michigan could have lost this game pretty easily. And then Martinez fumbles. Yeah. They have they have a third and one, right? Martinez clearly has the first down. He's probably already has three or four yards, so he's got like all he needs to do is kind of get down. And instead, he's trying to like move the pile, which situational awareness from your veteran quarterback, you'd like to have a little bit more of. I, I do think the right team won this game, though, because Michigan was better. I thought kind of on a down to down basis, like controlling the line of scrimmage. And uh we'll just see if if they can score enough points against some of the better defenses they play. But like who knows what happens with Clifford and uh you know, do they play Iowa this year? Nope. No. Okay. Oh, so, I mean it's maybe it's, maybe in Indianapolis.
0: Yeah, it's crystal yeah. clear for Iowa from here on out in terms of the Big Ten championship picture. It is a Iowa uh like it is not as dramatic as the Cincinnati egg in a spoon scenario, but it is very much like a don't screw it up. You just got handed a brand new car. Don't crash it for Iowa to be able to at least get to Indianapolis. I mean,
2: here's the rest of Iowa's schedule. They get Purdue next week. They ha- Then they're on a bye. Then they're at Wisconsin, which I don't care. Wisconsin's not great this year in Camp Randall. That's going to be a tough game, but then it's at Northwestern, Minnesota, and Illinois at home, and then you finish the year at Nebraska. So there are two kind of difficult road stops for Iowa, and that Nebraska game is the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's a rivalry. You never know, but as far as this Nebraska-Michigan game, yeah, it's I like Nebraska had 133 yards of offense in the first half, and then had 186 in the third quarter. Like they just kind of came out and completely looked like a different team to start the second half and they made this game a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be based on what I saw in the first half but it's it's like a similar story with Nebraska like they're not as bad as you think but they're still not good enough like to be competent they're just kind of in that purgatory kind of place where it's like yeah no, this team can go six and six but it's probably going to get there, beating six bad teams, and then losing to six teams with a pulse. The and magnitude f- of the errors they make is just astounding. It's, yeah, it's and they do it's every week, and it when is they make it's
3: incredible. Like 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 that. Okay, I understand kind of roughly like how many points a fumble's worth, right? Iowa accepted, but like man, every single time it's like Nebraska's like when they fumble, it's worth like twenty five points to the opposition. It's crazy. It's always crippling. Like it. It has got to be excruciatingly painful to be a Nebraska fan watching like, like Frost and these guys. Cause I, I do like Frost had a good game plan and they, they came out and they played really hard and the crowd was super into it and they just they, just they are up. dramatic. Yes. <laughs> oh man. And
0: they had good adjustments.
3: Yes. Again, yeah. like yeah.
0: plus value, like items for us to assign for a coaching staff whose team otherwise looks poorly coached. Yeah. Like, I, just, I don't know how to put it all together. Uh, Michigan's schedule, as you mentioned, they play Michigan State on the road on October 30th. They play Penn State on the road on November 13th. And then they welcome Ohio State to Ann Arbor uh, in the last week of the season. Tom, I'll agree with you. The Nebraska game's probably the one, especially the Friday after Thanksgiving, final week of the regular season. I mean, shoot. The, oh, God, the, if... Division could be locked up, right? Yeah. And then we start talking about, oh, they lost, but they're still in the playoff race, even though we know that Iowa's chances of getting in the playoff are like 20 They will hinge on the Big Ten championship. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want it to depend on being able to win in Indianapolis against a team, depending on who they face, that uh, might be able to put up points. You know, if it's Michigan, we'll see. Maybe Michigan and I Michigan and Iowa could play a game very suited for each other. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska could beat Iowa if I didn't get all those turnovers. Now, granted, I know I'm saying this and I just said Tater Martinez always has or Martinez always has insane turnovers. So it's not likely. But like, but but isn't what if that's the
2: universe balancing itself out like that is the turnover like reckoning where all of Iowa's turnover luck goes back and then Nebraska's turnover luck turns the other way. And in the end, it meets with Nebraska somehow pulling it off an upset on Friday after Thanksgiving with an 11 and 0 Iowa team, just needing to beat the Huskers to get to the big <laughs> 10.
0: It probably leaves a one loss Penn state team feeling better about its chances or who knows um, craziest conference results for week six. And yet all of them were on Saturday I wrote this note before all of the games were done, but all I needed was Northern Illinois over Toledo. Yeah, Akron over Bowling Green, Ball State Akron. over Western Michigan. The MAC that, was crazy today.
2: That's that's not. The, I don't think the Ball State one's that shocking.
0: You that's said great. that Ball State was starting to turn a corner. I thought Western Michigan was one of the best teams in the MAC. Yeah, and but so, so that one surprised me.
2: They are the defending champs, Chip. You know they got that
0: championship pedigree. I bailed on everybody with super seniors Illinois, San Jose State, Ball State, all these teams that boasted super seniors have come back, and those super seniors have been like, "Oh this sucks. I wish I was working and making <laughs> money and not getting hit
2: oh that I would love to actually that's a great idea. We should do like an anonymous survey of super seniors like so. <laughs>
3: You happy with the decision? <laughs> it's like my buddy has a job and no kids, so now he has like all this money to play with, and oh yeah. And I got to practice on college work. campus. I oh, got to practice at three p.m. every freaking day of the week. I get <laughs> a limited chili with this nil deal, but like, come on, man! I still yeah. have to live in Nebraska.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. no. Of
2: that Todd Blackledge did like he does that thing every week where he goes and eats at a local place and he went to the burrito joint in lincoln that has the deal with their offensive line and oh my god
3: that burrito is gigantic four pounds three types of meat they put chips in there homemade queso rice and beef. it's four pounds <laughs> And you're seeing
2: Blackledge hold it in his hand. Now, keep in mind, Todd Blackledge is a six, five course with humongous hands. And this burrito is like sticking three feet out of his hands. Like he can barely
3: grip it. It's bigger than the football. (laughs) I do you guys like, I'm really glad they do that segment. Like that, like they, I feel like they've been doing that segment since I was in college and I'm glad they still do it. It's like, it's wholesome. It's cool. It's not like over corporatized ESPN stuff. Like, like, have Todd, Todd Todd like Todd Blackledge eat ridiculous stuff all like every single broadcast from here to eternity. I, I'm here for that.
0: Um, Boise State gets a win at BYU. Uh first loss of the season for the Cougars. We've got uh SMU survives against Navy, Tennessee looks awesome. Uh, where else were Virginia 34-33 getting it done against the cards? Uh, what else stood out to y'all from uh, from the oh, hey, you know what? Actually, I need to address this. You got a national championship with Jimbo Fisher, but Jimbo Fisher could not beat North Carolina. Now, Jimbo Fisher's gone, and North Carolina will never beat Florida State. <laughs> Was it worth it?
3: I mean. Seems like we got a decent deal out of it, I guess. I think
0: you got a decent deal out of it, too. <laughs> you just had to deal with Nick Weiler doing that little tomahawk chop in like 2016 or whatever, running down the sideline in Tallahassee. Oh, my gosh. That but uh, yeah, Florida State 35, North Carolina 25. Uh, the Tar Heels are. Yeah, but that's our fault. Why is that our f- Oh, oh, yeah, okay.
2: That's what Max said. Max says it's our
3: fault. <laughs> Wait, what? What did he say? I I didn't see the comments. Uh, right, let's. Oh, uh, like Rat saying, poison type comment? No, it no, was. Hold on, it right. was, uh, hold it's on, better. It's it. better. Um, it was. But but why don't you talk about the game real quick? Here, here, no, I'm gonna try to
0: get the Matt, audio queued okay.
3: up. To... Oh, you got. So do audio, you remember okay. like the last couple of weeks when I said, pay attention to the starting lineup. If these guys are out, definitely bet against FSU because they did not have the depth to play at all. Well, those guys are now back in the lineup, and I think we're seeing why FSU's coaching staff actually thought that the offensive line wouldn't be good, but just wouldn't out like outright suck if they had their starters in there because they've you know, been recruiting these guys for a couple of years. And like the guys they had in there, I think, more than held their own against North Carolina. Uh, Jordan Travis is healthy enough right now uh, to fully commit to the Jordan Travis experience, which meant 45 rushes and 13 passes. Uh, and he went 11 of 13 for like a buck, like a buck 70 or something like that. So basically North Carolina faced an option team with a very athletic quarterback and an offensive line. It's playing a little better. And, you know, I, I mean, Chip may disagree with this. I don't know. Like I thought FSU had a good plan and they came and played hard. And I don't think UNC played with great focus either. And like they had some big time mental errors and FSU took advantage of that, which like you're not going to win as a 17 point dog if you don't have both those things. But, uh, defensively they took their chances with North Carolina on the outside and played a lot of single covers to the outside and tried to like, you know, bracket Josh Downs, the stud slot receiver. And I don't, I don't think North Carolina made him pay enough by capitalizing on those those one-on-one opportunities to the outside, which everybody, including Jacksonville state has seemingly done so far this year. Uh, and the defensive line did a pretty good job against UNC's offensive line. So it was kind of like you win the trenches, you don't turn the ball over, and you end up winning. Jermaine
0: Johnson was a beast. U.N.C.'s yeah. offensive line has regressed. Um, yeah. They returned everybody, and they've not been good. They've not been good against uh, any quality defensive line that they faced, and that has made Sam Howell not be good. You know, I mentioned Sam Howell in our Heisman discuss- discussion earlier. Like he goes down, he goes along with your his recruiting class of quarterbacks just not being all that impressive. Uh, here is Mac Brown after the game, uh, the quote that Tom was talking about.
3: Expectations to win every game. So we three times we've met it and three times we haven't. The uh, the, the national media expectation, the um, expectations for us to be a top 10 team were, were wrong. So. I guess we should all be critical of the media for picking us too high because we're not that good. So you guys all screwed it up.
0: It's our fault.
2: I want to I wanna take this moment and like self-reflect and study myself. And I want to tell you, Mac Brown, right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to do it to you. I didn't realize what it would do to your team to tell it that it might be good. It'll never happen again. Believe me, I'll never think your team is good again.
3: Is Pitt winning the Coastal?
2: Yes.
0: Yes.
2: I I so want them to. I so want Kenny Pickett to just keep balling out.
0: But the problem is we only say that because they haven't played enough conference games.
2: Right. Yeah, I know. But still.
0: It's like they've got the most left, and so we think they've got the most left to earn. But in the Coastal, it's the most left to screw it up.
2: Can you imagine like an ACC championship game between NC State and Pitt?
0: Yes.
3: I mean, we saw Georgia Tech wake in whatever year that was. So oh, 06, oh, 06. Yeah. Greatest right. season of all time. Yeah. No, that's and then, that's, like Boston College versus anybody, usually bottech uh, for like six or seven years in a row. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, Mark Herzlick, another pick six and Bot somehow <laughs> wins it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take,
0: take this all the way into deep, dark ACC land, but I am right. furious with <laughs> ACC fans who act like ACC football did not exist from 2001 to 2012, you know? Like there wasn't a decade of having teams that were not in the national championship conversation.
2: That's where you
0: are place. right now. Exactly. Yeah. Throwback. Good old days. You should enjoy this. Speaking of the
2: good old days, Virginia Tech, what happened? Oh, okay. So,
3: not going to Notre Dame.
0: One, Notre Dame Dame one in Blacksburg um, with the game winning field goal. Jack Cone started, got pulled. Tyler Buckner came in. Jack Cone ended up leading the fighting Irish to the win. Uh, Virginia Tech, for the most part, offensively didn't get much done. It was uh, special teams and defense that I think led to the most amount of success. Braxton Burmeister had a couple explosive plays. Blackshear did okay, but uh, but man, that was a missed opportunity for a Hokies team that felt like they had really Hokied their way into a top twenty-five upset.
3: He's fired, right?
0: Not for this. I think that you got to wait for Pittsburgh and Syracuse to okay. like those. It's three straight home games. For Justin Fuente. And the next two are conference games. And you talk about who's going to win the Coastal. That's another team with everybody in front of them. If they beat Pitt. They figure out a way to beat Pitt. Then they could still contend for a uh, conference championship.
3: If he wins the Coastal, but goes six and six or seven and five, is that enough? Yes. To, wait, like enough to fire him, or enough to keep his job. Enough
0: to keep his job.
3: God, imagine me like I won the. That is some Jim McElwain Florida SEC East title stuff right there. Like, hey, I, I won the coastal. I went six and six, but I won the coastal.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Paul Johnson won the coastal at seven and seven.
3: That's true. Hell, Ed Orgeron won the, <laughs> That's the national most incredible title. record of all time. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgia Tech seven and seven from two thousand fourteen might be one of my favorite uh, ACC records of all time. <laughs>
3: Can we talk Pac 12 real fast? I want to say something. Yeah, for uh, sure. Utah making that quarterback change helped a lot better. Like Cam rising, pretty legitimate. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 put it on on USC tonight. UCLA kind of sputtering a little bit here still against Arizona right now. I mean they'll they should win this game, but but uh, is
0: it still 24 16? I don't yes.
3: know if it should yeah it is, is. yeah, it they're is just trading turnovers. Impressive performance from the bruins at all arizona state i was pretty impressed and then they just stopped like i went to bed i was like all right cool like they'll they'll win by like you know three scores and they just didn't do anything the rest of the game that was interesting
2: um typical east coast bias going to sleep for the pac-12 games over
0: you did too
2: no i tweeted during did you no those
0: tweets were scheduled I thought, yeah, I thought he might, might be scheduling us. <laughs> nah, I was, I was in bed. Yes. As, as, as Tom called it out, man, uh, props to Tom Frenelli who was out here on CBS Sports HQ on Friday <laughs> afternoon being like, I I don't know why you're doing this, Pac-12. I'll be in bed. Everybody else will be in bed. Game day is going to start like an hour after this thing ends. What the heck?
2: I mean uh- – I know, like, the Pac 12 didn't do it by choice. It's, but it's your only ranked team. You've got to play it on a Friday night. And the only reason you put those games on Fridays is so people see them, especially if you're the Pac-12, because you get lost in the shuffle because A, you're either playing too late at night or you're, you know, you just don't have the highly ranked teams. And then the game starting at 10:30 Eastern on ESPN because they wanted to show like an American athletic conference game at 7:30 Eastern. Like, talk about a terrible TV deal for the Pac-Twelve.
0: <laughs> um, Michigan State gets its, gets it done uh, in Piscataway 31 13 against Rutgers. I'm it was an interesting game because Michigan State scores, I think all came on touchdowns of forty yards or more.
2: Oh, it was there's like it was like two players.
0: It was Kenneth, Kenneth Walker and Kenneth Kenneth Naylor. Walker, <laughs> yeah, Kenneth
2: Walker rushed for 233 yards and Jalen Naylor caught five passes for 221 yards and three touchdowns. And like, but you were showing like the box score from it's like, I think
3: they were all the same play. Literally. The description was like snap from snap from Michigan States, 35 pass completed to the, to the records, 40 uh, you know, r- runs for 40 more yards touchdown. I'm like, are they are they cheesing? Is this a video game where they're running the same play like like cause the the they, they found something wrong with the computer can't stop it? Like this is
0: So um, the Spartans go to uh, Bloomington to play Indiana. Man, like at this point, I kinda just I don't root against Indiana, you know, Tom Allen and his close dear emotional relationship with our friend Danny Connell, not to mention the cover three historian and his own Indiana ties, but uh I kind of hope Michigan State just takes care of business to set up then that October 30th uh, date against Michigan because I'm ready to come around to Michigan State being really good. Like I, I looked at 11 and obviously I locked up Rutgers. So at some point of my calculation beyond the Saints of Newark was the idea that Michigan State at 11 was an overranking based on a zero in the loss column. That they just continued to float up in everybody's polls and in everybody's rankings and that if you were to power rate this that Michigan State at 11 is a little bit high I still don't know about the power rating side of this because um you know that's not my forte and I haven't crunched the numbers from today's results but uh, I I'm more open-minded to the idea that Michigan State is one of the 12 best teams in the country
2: i would agree i think that kenneth walker has been a huge addition for them because it's given them a running back and a running game that they really just haven't had in a few years and i also think peyton thorne has been he's not a superstar qb but compared to what michigan state has had to deal with at that position in recent years it's a massive upgrade for them And aren't they already over their season win total now
0: oh they at five I, they
2: and I, I, I gotta go and throw it on her yeah, because they're at 6-0. Their six total was five and a half. That's just, I mean, that's, we'll see. There's still a lot of games left to play. They've still got to play a lot. You know, they've got to play Ohio State. They've got to play Michigan. They've got to play Penn State. But this is a team that I don't think you could just dismiss as being like a early season, easy schedule flute kind of thing. I think this is a real thing. I think that they're going to be able to, at the very least, compete in all those three games.
3: You know, there's a sicko mode game we got to talk about.
0: UConn, uh, UMass, loading up. 25 game of the century in the week of the millennium.
3: Did you watch any of this?
2: Yes. Okay. What did you think? I thought they were two quality football teams (laughs) playing a quality football game. (laughs) I thought it was bad.
3: So in my non-locks betting, I I had some money line and some uh, UMass for the whole game, but also for the first half, and they missed like a 26 yard field goal uh, right before the half, and I had them plus a half for the half, so that was that was great, great half football there. <laughs> UMass, glad they won. Uh, congrats to them. That was great. And uh, I figured when, when, when I saw the news on Friday that that UConn had some COVID stuff, I was like, ah, oh, well, the defensive line coach is coaching for UConn. This is not good for the over. He'll do some defensive line coach stuff, and. I don't know if he did or not, but the over did not hit.
0: Congrats to UMass for winning its first game. Um,
2: Hell yeah, we love to see teams getting wins.
0: Yeah, against an FBS opponent since September 2019. Yeah. Go out there and get it. Uh, <laughs> anything else? By the way, Georgia. The Ch- we
3: got to talk Georgia. We're going to yell at no. you. I we did. No. Georgia's entered the
2: Clemson's. Like Georgia's the new Clemson for this show. Like this is the same thing we dealt with in recent years when it comes to the reaction pod. It's like, yep, Georgia won. Clemson won. Wasn't really challenged. But on in all sincerity, gold medal to Auburn for scoring a touchdown against it. What's there to say? I I, I think that I, I think the best thing there is to say about Georgia right now is first of all, they have a guy named Ladd McConkie. But also yeah. <laughs> Look what Georgia did to Arkansas's offense last week, and then look at Arkansas's
3: offense today. Just take note of that and think about or it. Or Arkansas's Flip it. Yeah. Look what Georgia's offense did against Arkansas's defense. Yeah. And then look what Ole Miss did. Mm-hmm. I, like, Georgia's defense is, is like, stupid good. It's the best defense in the country. I'm going to take it over Iowa's defense if any of you guys want in the comment section, one I was defense, or anybody on the show wants I was defense instead, you can have it. I will take Georgia's defense. I've noticed here that the best player on FSU, the best player on Miami's defense, arguably the best player on Florida's defense, Britton Cox, and probably the best player on Ole Miss's defense in Reese, were all on Georgia's defense. And they all transferred out to get playing time elsewhere. That is pretty nuts right? It's like
2: Jamison William having like 120 receiving yards for Alabama tonight.
3: We still don't know if they can throw, though. Right? I think they can. I'd like to see some more receivers get back. I'm not really sure that I want Ladd McConkie to to be the the guy I'm going to in the playoffs. What happens if Ohio State pops a couple bit, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm putting Ohio State in the playoff. um, (laughs) Uh What what happens if Iowa pops a couple big plays on you, right? And all of a sudden you're down and and you got to throw your way out of this uh or whomever else you want to throw in but um like I want to see him throw the ball better I think that'll come later that defense is absolutely insane and Bo Nix doing the run around loop-de-loo stuff was not quite as effective in this game as it was against LSU so
0: um, your um most of the players you mentioned I believe were front seven but one
3: was back, was secondary right Two, uh, Tyreek Stevenson and then uh, Reese, who's kind of like a hybrid backer safety guy.
0: Okay, because Christopher Smith goes down with an injury in this game. And that or is okay. one spot where in this defense, I do look at and say, and it be, because of some of the transfers out, because you had to go to Darion Kendrick, because you had to get Tyke Smith to be able to come in, that you were starting to look at like, okay, well, you know, Georgia defensively, like they got their their front line seems to be okay, but the depth is gonna get tested a little bit. But then I, I return to Georgia's schedule, as we have for so many of these teams at this point in the season. And I just wonder who's gonna expose that, especially given the dominance that we've seen from the front of Georgia's defense. But something to keep an eye on, at least moving forward. If there's any like major defensive note to take away, I think Stetson Bennett, um, the 12th deserves all of the like <laughs> All of the uh, praise for the development that he has had, not only throughout the context of his career, including you know the Juco stop coming all the way back, doing the walk on, what we saw from him last year at the beginning of the season, and all the way to what he's done so far. I mean, he was making some downfield throws against an Auburn secondary that mm-hmm. I think is pretty good. and yeah, it is. I, I don't think that Georgia's wide receivers are the... Uh caliber where they are winning all those one-on-one matchups and making it easy. I thought that Bennett stepped up and made some killer throws. And that's a really, really good sign. It's encouraging for Todd Munkin. It's encouraging for uh Kirby smart because again, like we saw Daniels was available, but it, it goes back to, you know, some, a point that you made bud that uh I've tried to continue on in this conversation, which is look, this is a, uh, this is a an injury where you don't want to risk further injury. And so if, if Stetson Bennett's getting it done, then let him roll.
2: He's a throwback to like last decade quarterbacks on elite teams. The game manager lives on.
0: Do you believe, uh, I don't know, maybe this is a, a whole nother topic for an entire uh, podcast, not at 30 a.m. on the East Coast. But like, is this the season of defenses? No wide is still the luxury position
2: It's the season of all the elite quarterbacks went to the NFL,
0: um.
2: George is the only elite defense. I was up there as far as making plays, but I think talent wise and production wise George
3: is the only elite defense. I went down a rabbit hole today on Twitter uh, of Houston Texans fans who found all my tweets about how the twenty nineteen quarterback class sucks uh, and they're like. Of course, right. Every year we get the number one pick. We end up getting some quarterback that like totally sucks. I'm like, well, you had, I mean, Deshaun was pretty good for you. And it <laughs> wasn't, I guess, but like, um, yeah, it, oh, I. We talked about I think about defenses it are much better this year, in in, in part because they actually got like they were able to have some contact in the preseason, and but the lack of elite quarterback play at the top certainly hurts. I think quite a bit. Yeah, no, we t- we talked about it a little bit in text earlier today
2: too, like. Part of the reason I was so okay with the Bears giving up as much as they did to trade up and draft Justin Fields is I knew what the quarterback situation looked like in the 2022 draft. Can you imagine Spencer Rattler starting for the Bears? Like, Todd would just knock him out of the show anymore. You know what? I, will, <laughs> I look, Right now, I'm looking you right in the eye, Spencer Rattler. If you're watching, come to Champaign. I'll take you there in a heartbeat.
0: The chat was popping a little bit earlier. I didn't want to interrupt conversation, but it was just like everything from the Citadel to Arizona state to like anything like Spencer Rattler destinations. Uh, Barrett Salee mentioned it on CBS sports HQ. When we were doing uh, a hit on the Oklahoma, Texas game during the day earlier, I I guess I, I don't want to get out of here without pitching it to uh, some of my closest confidants when it comes to college football. Where do you think Spencer Rattler is playing college football in 2022?
3: Arizona. Yeah. Oh, not even one. Arizona State. Well, excuse me, Arizona State. Yes. My, apologies. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming Daniels goes pro, yes. Rattler's Same. from Arizona. Yeah, he's from Arizona. This makes yeah. a
2: lot of sense. I mean, I think he'll be in the Pac 12. I'll put it wherever he ends up.
0: All these Cali kids, you know, you just, only a few of them really work out, right?
3: <laughs> it is hard to take those California kids and, and bring them east sometimes, I will say. Like, culturally, locker room, it's just a different mentality. It's hard to describe, and I'm not going to attempt to on a show like this right now at 1.30 in the morning. But, like, there's a different vibe with kids from certain spots than there is from others. And sometimes they don't always mesh. Well, that uh, young
0: man from Rancho Cucamonga seems to be getting it done in Columbus.
3: And Bryce Young didn't play very bad, or didn't play poorly tonight. Like if Billingsley can catch the ball, that's probably a different result. Um, Jordan McClouds on crutches—that sucks. The uh, Arizona quarterback, so mm-hmm. right now, yeah.
0: Mm,
2: wanna,
0: Go <laughs> ahead. Good,
2: good news for UCLA, at least I guess. But
0: <laughs> that UCLA guess, won't lose here.
2: Yeah, uh, just uh, well, the, they're up by two scores now, so House, everything, House.
3: everything's fine.
0: We're deep in this. How's the Super Sicko's teaser looking? Is Nevada just going to run away and and bust it?
3: No. no, Uh, So we got 13 minutes left, and New Mexico State may be able to score one more time. Like they're still trying to score. I think, is Carson Strong out of this game yet? He scored five. He had five touchdowns early, six
0: touchdowns. Yeah. All right. So we we still got some time to see if New Mexico State. The
2: Lobos covered their half of the Sicko teaser, but. We're, we need the Aggies to get another score here.
0: We need one more score from the Aggies. That's where we're going to turn our attention for the remainder of this college football evening. Maybe we'll have an update for you uh, on Mondays upon further review episode. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. See you guys.